Welcome to the Students of the Game podcast, hosted by Matthew DeMarty. Bring them out, bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. It's hard to yell when the bat rails in your mouth. Come on. Bring them out, bring them out. Hey. Bring them out, bring them out. Bring them out, bring them out. Hey. And the World Series is here. The best time of year is here. Your host of the Students of the Game podcast, Matthew DeMarty, is here. Of course, if we're talking about baseball, you already know who the co-host is. How's it going, Matt? What's going on, guys? Oh, oh I, am, I am excited for this one, Matt. This is going to be fun. We have the Red Sox and the Dodgers facing off in the World Series, which means we have a battle of two gigantic markets, which means in the end, there's only one winner, and that's Major League Baseball and their wallets. But as the fans, we are also winners because we get to enjoy such a wonderful matchup. Before we get into the World Series matchup, let's talk about, of course, the LCS matchups, where we'll start in the National League, where Game 7 um, just wrapped up between the Brewers and Dodgers. Some of your takeaways from the series? Well, I, I think, I want to say we had said this series would go not seven games, right? I think we said six. We both agreed on six. But I, I think that this series was really all we could ask for as baseball fans. And what, my biggest takeaway was just the unconventional ways that both teams use their pitching staff mm-hmm. and especially the brewers with just the amount of the workload that their bullpen had to take on in this series it, it just seemed like they kept answering the bell answering the bell and then you know in the end it just proved to be too much on the pen i think um but my my takeaway as well is that the dodgers are scary mm-hmm. and the Dodgers are a very formidable opponent for the Boston Red Sox, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into that later mm-hmm. down the line. You know, your takeaways as well, Matt. All right, yeah. So I'm gonna give the Brewers some love because the Dodgers, trust me, Dodger fans, you're gonna your team's gonna get a lot of love throughout this podcast. But I'll start off by giving the Brewers some love and what their bullpen did this postseason was unbelievable. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about is watching their bullpen pitch constantly. I don't have the LCS number specifically, but throughout the postseason, the bullpen threw 60.2 innings, while the entire team threw 93.2 innings. So that's almost two-thirds of the innings coming from relievers. They had a 2.82 ERA, uh, 209 average against, a 104 whip, and a 37.5 K rate. This is a bullpen carried a 37.5 K rate, throughout the entire postseason. And I know that's only 10 games for them, but that's 10 games where every reliever struck batters out pretty much to the level that Chris Sale did this season, which is absolutely absurd. Um, They were so much fun to watch, and it, it was just incredible. It makes me look forward to in a decade or two decades when we don't have starting rotations and bullpens anymore. It's just the pitching staff and everyone just goes out there and does their job. But 
a few takeaways that I certainly had from the Brewers postseason run is one, I want to say good for you, Orlando Arcia. You were one of the worst hitters in baseball by weighted runs created this year, but you were excellent in the postseason. He slashed 333, 353, 606 with three homers and 34 plate appearances. Of course, it's a small sample size, but he had an ex woba of 350, which is something that Orlando Arcia generally doesn't do. He hit the ball well, he performed well. And although it doesn't really matter to his future projections and if whether or not he'll take the next step, but good for him for playing when it mattered most for helping the Brewers offense while guys like Kane and Yelich struggled. But the, he basically took right over for scope. He, he took him right out of the lineup. Yeah, yeah, he uh, he really he really did, which is something that at the trade deadline I don't think any of us uh, saw coming. But the two main guys who deserve love. And these numbers are crazy. Josh Hader and Corey Knebel. Each through 10 innings, Josh Hader didn't give up a run. Corey Knebel gave up one run. So that's one combined run in 20 innings. Josh Hader struck out um, 16 out of 35 batters that he faced in the postseason. He only walked one. He had a 152 average against and a .6 whip. And Knebel's numbers were even more, were almost more ridiculous. He struck out 14, he walked three, he had a .069 average against and a .5 whip. So when I saw this, I had one gigantic question and this completely reminded me of Andrew Miller and what Andrew Miller did in the postseason a few years ago. So I went back and I compared their numbers to how Andrew Miller did in 2016 ALDS and ALCS combined, and he threw 11 and two-thirds innings, didn't give up a run, struck out 21 out of 41 batters he faced, had a .6 whip and a 121 average against. So Hader and Knebel may not have been quite as good, but if there's anything that's right below in like the 99.9th percentile of what Miller did that year, both of those guys were right there which is incredible for a team to get that kind of production. So it makes sense why the Brewers were so hard to put away by the Dodgers, but also credit to the Dodgers for eventually overcoming the Brewers. And uh, while we're on this topic, let's talk about their use of use of Josh Hader in Game 7 a little bit. Because I know watching MLB Network, I don't know if it was last night or this morning, I think it was Greg Amsinger was going off about Josh Hader not starting. So I want to hear your thoughts on this, How you thought, what you thought of the Brewers' usage of him. I think they went to him a little too early, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I would have liked to see them try and get maybe an inning or two more out of some of their lesser relievers or their quote-unquote starters. Um, I, I think that just Josh Hader, he entered the game in what, the third, third. inning? I yeah, the say? third inning third inning I would have liked to see him maybe in the fourth just so that he could have more length on the back end of this and I don't have the numbers in front of me and I I know we've talked about a lot to an extent about how you know the the later innings may not always be the most high leverage innings Mm -hmm. but in a game seven winner take all scenario like this I would have liked to see Josh Hader maybe get more length in at the back of the game at the back of the game and the more innings that he could take up, the more options you have at the end of the game. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you don't have to extend Jeffries for so long. But that was my opinion. I don't know about starting him, but yeah. I, I would have liked to see him coming later. Yeah, I, I did not like the take that Josh Hader should start. And 
I saw a really interesting interaction on Twitter between um, Tom Tangle, uh, Mitchell Lechtman, who are two uh, well-renowned uh, sabermetricians, and they were talking about haters' usage in terms of in terms of leverage. And I and my thoughts on it was definitely shouldn't be starting. I had faith in Chassin, and a lot of people are like, "Well, how is Hater? How how is Hater coming into the game when you're losing?" And it's like, "Well, Chassin gave up a home run to Cody Ballinger. You know that's going to happen. That's baseball." There, right. you know, Chassin's throwing the ball well. He threw, he's throwing the ball really well down the stretch, but some really good hitters are going to put really good swings on pitches and do damage. And that's going to happen. Do absolute damage. Do absolute damage. That was a sweet swing. But, um, yeah, but I don't, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I don't love bringing in hater in the third. If my optimal strategy would have been, if I brought him in for the third, I'm trying to get like five innings out of this right. dude. Because he only threw, what, like 31, 32, 33, 34 pitches? Yeah, it was it was enough to where where you said, all right, it's game seven. Come on, like, let, him, let it fly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Let it fly. I don't hate the fact that they brought him in so early because I get it. You know, damage control. You have Knable. You have Jeffries. Like, you're going to trust your guys. But I would have liked to see him get stretched out a little longer. And this is an argument that I do agree with that I saw a lot of people putting out. Is it's a game seven, you know, ride your guys. Like, like, like you hear, like, like I know in college baseball at this time of year, a lot of coaches get grief for stretching pitchers out too much. But this is the major leagues. If... When it comes down to it, this is October. You're here to win a World Series. This is your time where if you're going to go out there and say, Josh Heater, I need five innings from you. This is the this is one of the only times that that's probably acceptable, and I would have liked to see them do it. Now, on the flip side of that, what did you think of bringing in Kenley Jansen? Uh, when it first happened, I didn't love it, but I also didn't realize that Kershaw was definitely going to throw the ninth. So at first, I didn't love it. But in retrospect, I do love it now. Um, you know, maybe you could have a little gripe about the order. Could have gone Kershaw to Jansen. But overall, I think I ended up liking the move. Right. And and I think that's something that was interesting about the Dodgers pitcher usage was their use of Kershaw. Mm-hmm. And on his throw days, just putting him into the game. And and having his throw day be in the game, which was, was an interesting way that we, we kind of haven't really seen, which... You know, I would like to see that in the yeah. future. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure we'll talk about Kershaw more in this, but let's uh, let's move on to the American League Championship Series where a combined total of 211 wins faced off, and we only got five games out of it, so I'm a little sad. Right. Um, but um, the, Re- the Red Sox ended up winning. Um, it was kind of convincing. Uh, give me some of your takeaways on that series. Yeah, and the way it started out, I I really was not expecting this. The the Astros were were pretty in control of Game One, um, and and then the, the Red Sox kind of took over. But one takeaway that I did have was that, and and we had mentioned the importance of scoring first and scoring in the first inning. Mm-hmm. In each of these games, the the team score first or score in the first inning ended up being victorious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one thing that I also found interesting was uh, there was a Fangraphs article, I believe it was yesterday or the other day, is that have we seen the best of the Astros, specifically the best of the Astros pitching staff, which I, I'd love to get your opinions on because I, I don't think so, 
Um, but they do have both Keuchel and Morton up for free agency. So th- their staff into the next year could have a very different look. Yeah, I'm going to have to say we probably have seen the best of the Astros pitching staff just because it's going to be super hard to duplicate what they were able to do this year. Um, especially, as you said, they have question marks. We don't know what their rotation is going to be. We don't know who's going to be in the bullpen because there are obviously a ton of big names who are left off their postseason roster. But just based on law of averages, mean reversion, I'm, I'm going to have to say we've probably seen the best of them, unfortunately. Would I love to see the Astros staff be better next year than it was this year? Yeah, but... We've probably seen the best. I don't know if you can rely. Justin Verlander's only getting older. We don't know if Garrett Cole's going to repeat what he did this year. Even if they re-sign Keuchel, there's no guarantee that he'll be close to the Cy Young winner he was in 15. So, yeah, I'm going to take the safe answer and no. What about you? You know, I'd like to see what Josh James can bring to the table next year. Oh, yeah. I'm a big Josh James fan. It's hard not to be. He's the man. (laughs) But I, I think it'll be interesting. They, they definitely have some holes to fill going into next season. Um, question marks behind the plate as well. But, again, with the Red Sox, um, good for David Price. Yes, good for David Price. I'm happy you David said it. Price. I, I, the, the whole narrative of him, you know, not, not being clutch or, or can't, pit, being can't pitch in the postseason. I can't stand the can't. I just, you know, he's such a, a good starter and has been for so long with, with so many different teams. He's been a horse, so mm-hmm. good for David Price. Yeah. Nice to see the Vandy boys do well as well. Yes, certainly. It almost comes full circle from him uh, throwing the last pitch to get the Rays to the World Series in 2008, beating the Boston Red Sox, to finally having a postseason outing that we would expected by David Price to have many of them by now to get the Red Sox into the World Series 10 years later. Kind of comes full circle on a nice little story. But uh, rest. Yep. Let's, uh, let's talk about briefly, we're going to have to talk about this um, because everyone was. The Mookie Betts interference, Joe West call, whatever, whatever you want to call it. What's your take on that? Well, <laughs> I, I just think that Mookie Betts is clearly one of the top defensive outfielders in baseball. By, by any metric, him alone has 11 outs above average. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with that, that being said, as a former Division three, not <laughs> as talented outfielder, I, I, I just think it's tough to assume the catch in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Yes, when you argue, could he have been on, on the field, in the stands, whatnot? I, I just think that an outfielder going with his leaping backwards with his glove up in the air, a lot has to go right for that play to be made. And again, Mookie Betts, elite athlete, um, phenomenal outfielder. But my, my takeaway with trying to remove as much biasness as possible <laughs> was that. It was a tough call. It, it would have been a tough call either way, though. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to have to disagree with you, and I certainly feel like I'm in the minority. Like, after when the play initially happened, I texted all my friends who are Red Sox fans, like, that should be an out. And then I saw Twitter blowing up, and just about every 
baseball mind whose opinion I value was like, oh my God, that was the worst call ever. And I immediately was like, am I seeing something differently? Because to me, I mean, Joe West obviously called fan interference immediately. So you need insurmountable evidence to overturn it or convincing evidence. Um, But to me, it looked like there was the view of the guy and he had his hand on the fence and looking at his body, it looked like his body was angled out towards the field a little bit. And this may not be the best reasoning for this. Um, it could be subjective. Maybe my brain is lying to me and saying I saw him angled out onto the field. But that's just how it looked like to me. And I've got faith in Mookie that, like you said, this dude's a freak athlete. He does freak things. And why wouldn't I expect anything different from him? But, I mean, the call... It is what it is. We're going to move past it. But uh, certainly another controversy surrounding Joe West, which is kind of funny. And the, the fact that he did make the call right away on the field, you know, you can't be upset with the result. Yeah. Uh, maybe the yeah. gripe should be more with him doing that with rather than just letting the play go on and obviously go to replay. But nevertheless, that is uh, those some takeaways. So now, wait, uh, let's do a quick ode to the Houston Astros season, actually. What do you think the Astros' biggest downfalls were in the American League Championship Series? I just think that, I don't know. It, it's tough because after game one, I just thought that it had all the makings of a long, hard-fought series. And, and it just seemed to kind of slip away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that their offense was, and granted that they did put up their fair share of runs, but it, it was disappointing as a whole. Mm-hmm. They they didn't get the starting pitching that we've been accustomed to from the Astros in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just I just feel disappointed uh, as a baseball fan. Yeah, you know it stinks over a short sample size. Anything can happen, which is something that we constantly forget. That there's like ten thousand different ways that series could have played out, and it happened to play out in a four to one series victory for the Red Sox. That you know, I don't think anyone left the series saying like, "Ooh, the Astros were like a little break away." from like winning that series like like the Red Sox were the better team but when I was looking at numbers and trying to go back and like what I thought about watching the game I mean Bregman had a great American League Division Series he struggled in the championship series along with Correa and along with Altuve the way I look at it is it was it was pretty much just like the short sample size didn't go in the Astros favor their starting pitching wasn't as good as usual that's certainly correct. But in three games, the Astros OPS 1037. That's like every single hitter on their lineup for three games against the Indians was J.D. Martinez. And in the five games against the Red Sox, they OPS just 721, meaning they regressed to slightly below league average by this metric. OPS isn't perfect, but it's probably the best metric we have when using postseason statistics. Um, the Red Sox overall offensive numbers and slash line were pretty similar. It just seems like the Red Sox hit home runs with men on base more often. Um, they got a little bit more out of their starting pitching. They certainly got, when you look at what Evaldi and Price gave them, that's certainly very helpful, especially when you look at how Garrett, you did not get what you'd expect 
out of Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander ended up giving up four runs in game five. So I would just chalk it up to the randomness of small sample size and sometimes things don't go your way. Now, with that being said, I think that does a little discredit to the Red Sox, which is, I think, something that I've done throughout these postseason podcasts is not give the Red Sox the credit they deserve. There's a team that won 108 wins and they've gone through the playoffs so far. And what are they, seven and two so far? They've yeah. yeah, seven and two. They've got a plus twenty-one run differential against the two teams that were supposed to be their biggest opposition to winning the World Series. So good for the Red Sox. I I think it's safe to say that they're. I guess they're the best team in baseball. Maybe not. I think I think after this, while it's still short sample sizes, good for the Red Sox. You're you're the best team in baseball. It, it's been an unbelievable ride watching this position player core carry them. So now let's carry that over and talk about the World Series where we have the Red Sox and the Dodgers. We have two super teams meeting. We have two super payrolls meeting. And this is going to be an unbelievable matchup. Just before we get into some of the analysis, using weighted run differential, um, the Dodgers actually have a 50.2% chance of winning the World Series. And the Red Sox have a 49.8% chance. Now, Red Sox fans, before screaming, understand that this is an objective algorithm that takes into account a team's strength of schedule, splits in between home and road performance, and then looks at their run differential. And based off that, you get a win percentage overall. And the Dodgers, by run differential, when you add in their strength of schedule, it ended up being weighted just a teeny tiny bit better. Now, this doesn't mean the Dodgers are a better team Tons of people have already looked into the fact that the Dodgers, when you looked at them by their run differential and on paper, this is a team that should have been a 100-win team, but obviously there were some things that got in the way, which led to them only winning 92 games. And I say only winning 92 games because realistically, this team easily could have won 100, 105 games. But nevertheless, I think this series is more even than just the 108 wins to 92 wins would give off. But uh, what are your early thoughts on this series? Well, I think right off the bat, as you had said, you know, it's a very evenly matched series mm-hmm. by by um, by that algorithm, as well as and my my thoughts kind of right off the bat are the the Dodgers to me seem to be able to play better in the American League ballparks than the Red Sox will in the National League ballparks, just just by their team construction. I, I think that moving, having to move J.D. Martinez into the outfield for those games in the National League Park where he has negative seven outs above average, when, and you're probably, if they play Mookie at second base, you're replacing mm-hmm. one of the top outfielders in baseball or whatever they do with that they're going to sacrifice the defense um and then on the other hand with the dodgers we, we've seen you know friend of friend of the students of the game chris taylor play yeah baby ct3 play all over place and you know he he had potentially the series turning catch for mm-hmm. for the Dodgers in game seven and and him and, and Hernandez have just been so huge with their versatility. They can they can mix and match. They can move guys around all over the place. And in the American League parks now you're gonna add an extra hitter, a Puig or or a Muncie or, or someone who maybe would not have gotten a start to lengthen that lineup. That that's pretty scary. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, certainly. Um, I love how you said uh, CT3 gave him a shout-out. That was an incredible catch. And to Chris Taylor's credit, um, he's actually among players remaining. Uh, I shouldn't say among players remaining. Among players in the World Series, he has the highest playoff OPS of 1060. Yeah, of 1067. He's got a homer, a double, and a triple. Um, he also has the highest WOBA at 453. So good for Chris Taylor to be an extremely productive player for a second consecutive October. Obviously, we're big fans of him on this show. But um, yeah, check I thought, out the interview. Yep, definitely check out the interview. Um, but yeah, I think this poses a really interesting matchup. You have two juggernaut offenses. The Dodgers lineup was worth 33 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs during the season. The Red Sox 29.6. The Red Sox had a 110 weighted runs created. The Dodgers 111. So the position player edge goes to the Dodgers a little bit because of their defense. Very similar pitching staffs. By Fangraphs wins above replacement. The Red Sox were worth 20.6 wins and the Dodgers 20.5. But I think that obviously pitcher war is mis pitcher war according to Fangraphs is misleading as it is. So I looked into some interesting numbers because I was trying to find a little edge as to see who's gonna win this series. Cause it's very easy to say the Red Sox, I think. And I still think the Red Sox are gonna win this series. But I found something to be kind of interesting. So Dodgers hitters in 2017 and 2018 led Major League Baseball in walk rate. Dodgers hitters in 2018 hit 235 homers and 208 home runs. Of course, this is a sabermetrics-based podcast, so we're going to talk about the three true outcomes a little bit of strikeouts, walks, and home runs. And teams that control strikeouts, walks, and home runs, they put themselves in a really good position to win. And offensively, that's one thing the Dodgers do super, super well. They've run a 12% walk rate so far this postseason. And this is something what I wanted to get to. The Red Sox bullpen, although it's, if you take out Kimbrell and you take out Workman's one awful inning in game one of the ALCS. This bullpen has been incredible, but overall they just have a 3.62 ERA. They only have a 21.3% K rate, and they have, as I said before, a 15.2% walk rate against Dodger hitters who have a 12.0% um, walk rate. This could be a little bit of a mismatch for the Red Sox bullpen. As bullpens, as the playoffs goes on, you rely on your bullpen more and more. I'm sure we'll see that in the World Series. That the mismatch of Red Sox bullpen allowing free passes and a Dodgers lineup who is extremely patient and has been the best at drawing walks over the past two years, that produces a major mismatch in my my eyes. And this is a chance where the Dodgers can have a little bit of an advantage because they slug a little more than the Red Sox. And as you can see, as you saw in the ALCS, as you saw in the NLCS, in a seven-game series, teams that can get on base and hit a timely home run or two, that could be the difference. That could be the difference in you winning one or two games, which could be the difference in you winning an entire series. So I'm really looking forward to that mismatch. I know the Red Sox have gotten some contributions from some guys like Ryan Brazier, Matt Barnes, and Joe Kelly. All these guys have been excellent so far, but they're going to need a... They're going to need a Craig Kimbrell who's on his game, and they're going to need to cut down on their walks. Although Brazier's been good, he has walked four batters in seven innings, and you just can't give these Dodgers a free pass. So what do you think about that matchup of the Dodgers hitters 
and their incredible depth in their lineup going up against a Red Sox bullpen who has been very prone to walk so far in the postseason. And I, I think that you hit the nail right on the head with that. Um, the Dodgers hitters have, have the ability to just wear down opposing pitchers. And with the Red Sox bullpen, and it's been all year. Um, it, it's been Kim, Kimbrell, and granted he hasn't had the best postseason, but it's been Kimbrell and it's really been kind of a rotating door of one or two other guys who are hot at the time. And with the small sample size and with, with the – ability of the Red Sox bullpen that's been prone to kind of blow up at times. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a huge advantage for the Dodgers. And one other one other little area that the Dodgers do hold an advantage in is the Red Sox um, OPS against right-handed pitching is 817 for this year, while against left-handed pitching it's 719. And as we no, the Dodgers do have a very left-handed heavy staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, this is one thing I want to add. I forgot to throw that in there. When talking about the three true outcomes, the Dodgers offense has struck out twenty-eight in 28% of their plate appearances so far in the postseason. That is by far the most. For reference, the highest percentage of plate appearances a team has struck out in over the course of a regular season is 263 so, of course, it's a small sample size of only 11 games, but this team has struck out a lot. The Red Sox bullpen, as I said, they only have a 21.3% K rate so far in the postseason. So, if they're not going to take the strikeouts that this line, Dodgers lineup is prone to give them, that could just be another, another little mismatch um, adding up. But then on the flip side, because you could be a Red Sox fan sitting here and saying, well, what about our lineup? We're just as deep in terms of star power with J.D. Martinez, who's had a 946 uh, OPS so far in the postseason, and Mookie Betts, who I know has struggled, but he does have a 389 ex-WOBA, which is his expected weighted on base average, which indicates that he's been hitting the ball hard. He's just been hitting into some tough luck. They have the star power, and they've got some really good bats, and they've and their lineups kind of carry them all season. Well, what about us? Where's, where's our mismatch? Um... I'm kind of buying in on Dodgers pitching. The Dodgers bullpen, I know we've given a lot of credit to the Brewers bullpen. The Dodgers bullpen has been lights out in the postseason. In 41 and two-thirds innings, they have a 1-3 ERA, a 180 batting average against, a .96 whip. They've only allowed three homers. They've struck out over 31% of batters' face, and they've only walked batters 7.9% of the time. So this bullpen has been really, really, really good. Kenley Jansen was re- has been really, really, really good again. So it's, you know, that's that's an area where the Red Sox don't have the same, I, it's not to say they don't have the same advantage because obviously anything can happen. But statistically looking on paper, it's a little bit of an advantage to the Dodgers. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I, I do think that it is an advantage to Dodgers in, in the bullpen aspect. And, and again, if they're going to use their pitchers, in, I'd say, less conventional manners than, okay, we're going to have Kershaw, Rich Hill start game one, and then you won't see him again until game game four. And if, if you they're going to try and sneak a couple innings in, that just gives them another weapon. I love it. Do it. Do it. I love it. But, Are- yeah, and, and I do think that that is advantage Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um- – 
that we're going to see Kershaw pitching. I don't want to say pitching for his legacy, but is he pitching for his legacy? I actually looked at his postseason numbers, and I know he had a uh, he had a rough go of it in Game One of the NLCS. But so far in the postseason, 19 innings, a 2.37 ERA, which is pretty much in line with his career average. If it it might be on his career average on the dot, a 169 batting average against a .79 whip. So pretty much he had one bad start and two absolutely dominant starts. Is is this it? Is this the postseason of Kershaw? Because two more really good starts in a Dodgers ring and an ERA below two for a postseason. And all of a sudden the narrative is flipped and Kershaw is officially can do anything. I hope so. I, I really hope so because he has done a lot to flip this narrative this year. And, and him being on the mound for the Dodgers clinching and going to the World Series just was a cool thing to see too, in my opinion. But with that being said, I think a good World Series out of Kershaw and kind of putting the Dodgers on his back and, and carrying them to their first World Series win since 1988 for this storied franchise – would be a total 180 of this narrative. And instead of Clayton Kershaw struggles in the postseason um, and the Dodgers can't really put it all together, now we're talking about Clayton Kershaw, Dodger legend, Clayton Kershaw carrying them to get his ring and some really cement his legacy as the pitcher of our generation. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It would be really cool to see. And although, uh, one thing I forgot to mention, Kershaw only has... Um, 16 strikeouts so far in the postseason for a 22.2% K rate. He has induced 38 whiffs, which is the most so far in the postseason. So maybe his the swing and misses he's getting hasn't been the most timely, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Kershaw is not going to strike out a lot of guys. But all right, let's shift the, the focus a little bit and let's start focusing on the Red, the Red Sox roster. And specifically, let's look at the pitching staff and what do you, what do you, you first, let's start with this. What do you expect out of Chris Sale over this series? Cause there's certainly a lot of question marks with him. He was probably the best pitcher in baseball this year, whether I shouldn't say he wasn't the best pitcher in baseball. Jacob DeGrom was He's probably the best pitcher in the American league this season. Although he probably won't have a Cy Young award to show it. What can we expect out of Sale in the world series? Well, you know, first I'd hope that his belly button has been all healed up. <laughs> from his, uh, his traumatic injury. But I think that we're going to get a good Chris Sale in this World Series. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just really expect him to kind of rise to the occasion again if his belly button is feeling better. But, um, <laughs> but I just think that the Red Sox need Chris Sale to be dominant. Mm -hmm. they, they need him to put up a, a good start, you know, maybe have him go back into that bullpen but like we've been saying, use, using guys in unconventional manners. And, and I, I do expect Chris Sale to, to answer the bell and, and come out firing. You know, And, again, his VLO is going to be a good indicative of how he's feeling and how long he can go. You know, It was well documented towards the end of this year that his velocity was down, mm -hmm. shoulder injuries, mechanical flaws, but he seemed to have put it together in, in the ALPS and, and then – you know, we'll see what happens in the World Series, but I do expect Chris Sale to be Chris Sale. Yeah, he still struck out 13 batters in nine and a third innings. His, he's, he's had a little bit of control issues so far in the postseason, but, I mean, the stuff still plays, whether velocity is there or not. He still has the ability to 
miss bats. Um, I think who I'm going to focus on a little more in the Red Sox rotation is Nathan Avaldi, who in his yeah. two starts has been incredible. He's got just a 2.08 ERA. He struck out nine in 13 innings. He's only allowed two free passes and he has a 224 batting average against. How big has this guy been? And if you you get he has to make at least two World Series starts. I think he has to be your game two starter. That there is no doubt about it that he's your game two starter. And I'd say that his performance could be just as big as Chris Sale's performance. Because right. obviously, I like we've said, this question marks surrounding Chris Sale. We don't know what's going to happen. You may not win two Chris Sale starts, but if you can win two Nathan Avaldi starts, then you know, you're mitigating the percentages a little bit. And that's super, super helpful because when you have Chris Sale and Clayton Kershaw going in game one, you know, two unbelievable pitchers, you can toss it up. You don't know what's going to happen. In game two and game six, even though Walker Bueller was probably better in the regular season, the way Nathan Evaldi's throwing the baseball right now, I would say in a game two and game six matchup, that he has the edge. He has averaged 98.7 miles an hour on his four-seam fastball so far in the postseason. That Now, that's not necessarily indicative that he will be dominant, but I love starting pitchers throwing over 100 miles an hour in the postseason, getting strikeouts and leading their team to victory. So as much as I love Walker Bueller and I would love to see him throw well, I would equally, if not more, love, especially for a guy who's had an injury history. You always have a soft spot for guys like that who had a tough road to return to get to this point. I would love to see him blow in a hundred with 95 mile an hour cutters and be and, and being kind of the surprise man and the anchor in the Red Sox rotation in the World Series. Right. I, I think like you mentioned the injury history and, and how there's always been the question mark of, is this the year that Nathan Avaldi will put it together. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good World Series performance out of him going right into his free agent year. Got got a root for the guy in that sense. Um, and and facing one of his former teams in the Dodgers. But I, I do think Nathan Avaldi is a huge key to this series. And that Walker Bueller Nathan Avaldi matchup is just going to be absolute gas. That's going to be sweet. Over over under average fastball ninety eight miles an hour. I want to say over, just just as a fan, over. Okay. Just, just I want to see it. Yeah, Walker's been ninety-seven point three on his fastball so far in the postseason. So there, there's a chance we could see Walker blowing noise too. But uh, l- let's go to another member of the Red Sox rotation, and we're not gonna go into the analysis of him because we've talked about how happy we are for David Price, and I'm gonna play into the narrative a little bit. So don't get mad at me. But does David Price get a win in the World Series? No. Oh, no. I, I don't think so. And I, I want to say no just based off of the fact that he, he'll probably be game three. Right? Game, yeah, game probably game, game three. Game three. Game three starter. Is that, is that in the National League Park? Uh, yeah, that's in L.A. I, I don't think he's around long enough to get a win in that in that game. Okay. But and I think that especially with again the narrative surrounding him, which hopefully has been put to rest. But if he runs into trouble early, I don't think Cora waits too long to pull him. Yeah. So I, 
I just think that National League Park, the unfortunate history surrounding him, and any signs of trouble because that game would could be a very pivotal game three for either mm-hmm. team. Yep. Um, I don't think he's around long enough to warrant a win if if he runs into any trouble. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I hope to see him get a win. I'm gonna say yes, just just because I love David Price and I want to see him get a win so that the media and New York Yankee fans will lay off this guy's back because he's a Cy Young winner and someone who signed a $210 million deal. And none of us are good enough to sign a $210 million deal, so we really shouldn't be bad-mouthing him as bad as most of the baseball community does. But let's uh, let's go on. Now let's look at pitching kind of in a macro sense uh, in this series. So throughout the postseason, we've seen both managers willing to go to starting pitchers out of the bullpen. I'll set the over under at four and a half. The number of times we see a starting pitcher, not Eduardo Rodriguez, Alex Wood, or Kenta Maeda, because these are pitchers who are in the bullpen for the postseason, but guys who are going to start games in the World Series over under four and a half times that they appear out of the bullpen. I'm going to say under, but if this series goes more than five games, then that could get blown past. Mm-hmm. Because I think that both of these managers, especially with with this matchup, will have no qualms about going to sale two days in a row. Yep. Or going to a David Price for, for multiple innings. And yeah, I, I want I think my gut says under, but that could very easily change. Yeah, I'm gonna disagree with you and I'm gonna go over. I think in this postseason we're gonna get the best glimpse possible at combining what the Brewers have done with their pitching and combine that with teams who have starting pitchers who are a little more trustworthy with a better track record. Obviously, some guys much better, but you you know what I mean. I think we're going to see, like, the the kitchen sink is going to be, like, thrown pretty much, to quote my old varsity basketball coach. Like, I think you're going to see Clayton Kershaw and Chris Sale coming out of the pen. I think you're going to see pretty Rick uh, Porcello come out of the pen. Um, I... I want to live in a world where Walker Bueller comes out of the pen and pumps 102. I want to I want to see David Price and Nathan Avaldi come out of the pen. And I think it's going to happen. I think that these are two really smart teams that understand that this is a bloodbath and you really need to do anything it takes to win the World Series, especially last year when you saw the Dodgers down the stretch of the World Series, Jansen, Maeda, and Morrow got tired. I think uh, Roberts is going to be a little bit more creative in how he uses his bullpen. I know he's relied on his starters a little bit more this postseason, but I just think it's the Dodgers are too smart to do that again. There's, you know, the Brewers lineup is good, but it's not the Red Sox lineup. So I think from both managers and both teams, you're going to see them be super creative in how they use their pitching and that you're going to see pretty much no labels, just have at it. We're going to put our guys in the best situations possible and let them do their thing. And if it works for the best, great. And if it doesn't, you know, it's a small sample size. You played the odds to the best of your ability and it didn't work out. Right. So. Now, do you think that we'll see another smoke and mirrors with like the Brewers did with Wade Miley? No, I don't think so. That was awesome, and I can't believe we forgot to talk about that. That was awesome, and I can't wait to see the first team to do it next year um, and see how big of a story that is and how if that's a bigger part of team strategy. 
but yeah, I can't see that happening with both with um with both of these teams. Like realistically, the Red Sox, I don't think the Red Sox possess the depth to be able to do it unless you just were like, "Oh yeah, we'll throw Nathan Avaldi for a batter in game 2 and then we'll bring David Price in and we'll start Nathan Avaldi in game 3," which I don't really think makes sense. I think the Dodgers out of the two teams are certainly the team that could do it necessarily, but also, if you do that and you leave a game to the bullpen, that means I don't know who the, who their potential Game 7 starter is yet of Hunjin Ryu or Rich Hill. That means you end up losing one of, the, one of those guys as planned to get two starts in a seven-game series and you're losing you know, potential innings out of them. I don't know if that's something they necessarily want to do. Both of those guys have the ability to give you four, five, six strong innings. So I don't, I don't see it happening. Um, it could, but I, re- I really don't see it happening. But uh, all right, we've talked about these pitchers enough. By the way, actually, before we move on from pitchers, just quickly, Red Sox or Dodgers staff, who are you taking? Mm. Red Sox. All right, I got Dodgers. All right, let's talk about the hitters here because we kind of have, like, the Red Sox, we know what they're going to put out. They're going to platoon at first base, and you know you know who else is going gonna, is gonna to be out there. It's going to be curious to see who's out of the lineup. It'll probably be Kinsler when they play in the National League, which, you know, you're going to lose a ton of value defensively in right field, bringing in Martinez for bets. But I think the offensive upgrade from having Kinsler – instead of JD in there is certainly worth it compared to the Dodgers who you're going to see a different lineup out of every night. Um, what are some of your big storylines going into this series and who do you think has the edge offensively? I think that one of my big storylines, which by the way, just a, a cool little fact that I had seen floating around is that the Bellinger family, the last six seasons they've played in professional baseball have ended in world series appearances that is so cool between clay um with the yankees during their run and and now cody but i I think that cody bellinger and which cody bellinger shows up is it going to be the nlcs mvp cody bellinger or the cody bellinger of the nlds and again as we're speaking in very small sample sizes um that was more more or less absent but I think that having Cody Bellinger gives them length to the lineup. It gives them another look behind Machado and Turner. And then, like I had mentioned in, in, in the beginning of this podcast, I just love how Dave Roberts utilizes the versatility that they have with, with Chris Taylor, Kike Hernandez, and then what they'll do behind the plate with Yasmani Grandal and Austin Barnes. Just, mm-hmm. it, it just seems like their bench is so much deeper than other teams just by the sheer number of options he has to put guys in. You see guys playing different positions every game or within the game itself. Yeah, definitely. I think it's kind of uh, the Dodgers are like, we'll we'll plug and go, we'll put in this guy, and we know he's super valuable and he can do his job, and depending on this matchup, we'll throw someone else in. Like, just looking at the weapons the Dodgers have, like – they have David Freeze, who has a 443 ex-WOBA so far in the postseason. Only 10 plate appearances, so super small sample size. Um, but, like, even, like, a little weapon like that in the postseason, like, one swing can – the championship probability, as you know, can go way up or down based on one pinch hit home run and whatever spot. Freeze, 
Yeah, he uh, he certainly knows it. But just like looking at their position player depth, I mean, they are just so incredibly deep. But one thing that I'm looking forward to is I brought this up earlier. Mookie Betts has had a 587 OPS so far in the postseason. He has not hit a homer. But as I mentioned earlier, he is a 389 X Woba which means that his quality of contact has been much better than what his actual numbers would indicate, um, that he's just been unlucky, which obviously we know can happen over the course of nine games. J.D. Martinez has been good. J.B.J. has been good. But also Xander Bogarts is another guy who's struggled a little bit. He's only had a 730 um, OPS, but he's actually hit the ball really hard throughout the postseason. He ranks third in average exit velocity at 92 miles an hour, where Mookie Betts actually ranks second at 92.4. So those are two guys who the Red Sox haven't really got much from that the underlying numbers indicate that they've hit the ball better than like what they've gotten for it. So I think the Red Sox are going to hit this se- this series. I think they're going to be up to the task. I think it's just going to be a combination of one lineup where you know who's going to be in there compared to one that's going to be mixing and matching a lot. Like the Dodgers' two best players this postseason have been Yasiel Puig with the 965 OPS and CT3, as we mentioned earlier. Justin Turner, the postseason god for his postseason career he he did have one really big homer in milwaukee only has a 739 ops machado has an 813 ops which isn't what he did the entire season but it's a lot closer to his career norms bellinger you know if you look at it in a macro version of his playoffs he struggled jock peterson and max muncie have been average and matt kemp has struggled but obviously it's a short sample size anything can happen i just like the names the dodgers have better i think it creates better matchups now, with that being said, obviously, when you get to have the Red Sox stars, you get four or five at-bats every game. You know, a few guys could get on a roll, and they're hot, and, you know, there it goes. JBJ hits three more homers and carries them to a World Series. I just like the Dodgers matchups a little bit. Um, and there's just one more stat that I want to add to add to my Dodgers love affair. Looking at just four-seam fastballs in the postseason, the Red Sox had a... Not- their average four-seam fastball velocity was 95.6 miles an hour. Um, in, including in that is Joe Kelly at 99.0, Nathan Avaldi at 98.7, Craig Kimball at 98.0, and Matt Barnes at 96.3. Those are four guys who are going to throw a lot of innings in the World Series who pump absolute cheddar. And the Los Angeles Dodgers bats are somewhat ready for that, in my opinion. They're going to take their walks against these guys. They, since September 1st, they had a 90.9 mile an hour average exit velocity as a team against 95 mile an hour fastballs and above. Good for fifth in baseball. They had a 398 slugging, so not great, but about average. But they did connect for 20 barrels, which if you don't know what a barrel is, a barrel is a batted ball based on exit velocity and launch angle that has both an expected batting average over 500 and an expected slugging percentage of over 1,500. So pretty much your doubles and your home runs. They've led all of baseball with 20 barrels against 95-mile-an-hour fastballs and above. So this could be an interesting matchup to see. How do the Dodgers handle the heat? Because that's what the Red Sox are going to bring. And it looks like they're qualified to do so. So maybe I'm looking into statistical noise, or maybe the Dodgers seem to be have a little bit of a matchup advantage. But uh, I've talked a lot. Let's uh, let's go to who do we think is going to win the series? Right. So on my end, and I what I do want to say is I think that 
the Dodgers have a very interesting offense, as you had mentioned, with with their statistical potential advantages over over this Red Sox pitching staff. Mm-hmm. I I would give the edge to the Dodgers on the offensive side of the baseball, but overall, and <laughs> you know, as much as it pains me to say, I I'm going with the Red Sox in this World Series. I think that just the amount of star power, the the back of these guys' baseball cards, they're They've been the best team all year. They've gone through the gauntlet of the Yankees, of the Astros, and and they're here. And I, I just think that the Boston Red Sox will be your 2018 World Series champions. Woo! You hear that, Red Sox fans? This Yankee <laughs> fan doesn't totally hate you. So, <laughs> of course, since you picked the Red Sox, I'm going to have to pick the Dodgers. Um, obviously I've been raving about them all podcasts. I've also been raving about the Red Sox and I absolutely love JD Martinez and Mookie Betts and Chris Sale and Craig Kimball and all the fantastic players that the Red Sox employ, but I have to give it to the Dodgers based on just a few things. One, their bullpen is certainly much better. I think that they're going to, they have the ability to shorten games much better than the Red Sox where the Red Sox are going to have to mix and match every game and you're kind of holding your breath until the last out's made. Um, I also love the fact that the Dodgers walk and the Red Sox bullpen walks, guys. Um, I This is something that I try and say to non-analytics guys or people who haven't bought into sabermetrics yet is just like, okay, you don't have to believe in sabermetrics, but take note of which team walks more and how often they win and that teams that walk win baseball games And the Dodgers are really, really good at walking. They hit home runs more than the Red Sox. And in short sample sizes and in large sample sizes, walks and home runs always play. And the Dodgers are better at that than the Red Sox. And they have a better bullpen. So I'm going to take the Dodgers. Now I expect the Red Sox to sweep them in four games. And I look like an idiot. But I'm going to go with the Dodgers. How many games uh, do you think it's going to be? And by the way, the, just throwing it back to old school Moneyball, can he get on base? <laughs> Billy Bean yep. with the Dodgers yep. right there. But I do think that this will be a long series. I hope it is a long series. I and hope it's seven. I know I'm not being original with my predictions. Last time around, when I, I think I said they would go six and seven respectively, but I do think this one's going to go seven. All right, I'll take Dodgers and six. Um, who's your MVP? David Price, baby. Let's go. Oh, so no, he doesn't I, get a win, but he's your MVP. No, no. I, I think that I want to, I want to say JD Martinez. Okay. Yeah. I think he's going to have a monster series with the bat. Yeah. Rooting for David Price. Yeah, definitely. If the Red Sox win, uh, I'm just saying this JD Martinez is going to be the world series MVP. Cause that there's no one better prepared in this world to be good at hitting than JD Martinez from a player development standpoint side and just analyzing him as a hitter, as a player, there's no better person to watch in this world series. Justin Turner and Mookie Betts are close second and third in no order, but please hitters watch JD Martinez hit this postseason. You can certainly learn something from him, but if the dot when the Dodgers win the world series, I should say, because we're on a podcast and we have to make takes. Um, Clayton Kershaw, 
finally it happens. He's your World Series MVP. I mean, who else am I going to go with? It's Now, Justin Turner would be a really good choice, obviously, with his postseason resume, but it's got to be Kershaw. It's just got to be him, man. The, Dodger, the Dodgers, you know, this is their sixth consecutive postseason appearance. Kirsch has been their guy. It's time for Kershaw to lead them. It's time for a Cinderella story. Not a Cinderella story. It's time for the story to be written how we said it would be written for Kershaw, that he leads them to a World Series. So with that, we've given our predictions, and I want to throw some questions at you. And by no means are you prepared for these, and are you meant to be them. But this is just supposed to be a little bit fun for the viewers. Looking at StatCast data for the postseason, ask you a few trivia questions. Are you up for it? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Which hitter has the highest average exit velocity so far at 92.6? Oh, not doing multiple choice? No, Uh, no multiple choice. All right. Highest average exit loss of 92.6. First hand. Martinez? No, Lorenzo Kane, actually. Really? Yeah, very surprising. Leads to the evidence that exit velocity in a short sample isn't the best indicator of yeah. actual success. I mean, obviously, it's, a, it's an excellent predictor, but, you know, you can have a very high exit velocity in a short sample size and not do well. Um, top exit velocity on a batted ball uh, so far. You should know this one. Was it Gary? No, he had the no. top. Uh, I can't actually. I'm not gonna spoil that. Uh, I'll give you one more guess. If I should know, it should be Yankee. Judge. Nope, Stanton, one seventeen point four. <laughs> All right, furthest home. Furthest home run distance. At four seventy nine. You know this one. That one was Gary. Yeah. Um, all right, little curveball. Furthest home furthest home run hit by a player in the who's active for the World Series. In the playoffs or this year? Uh like this year. Someone who will be playing in the World Series between the Red Sox and Dodgers, furthest homer. Hmm. I'm narrowing it down to I wanna say Ballinger could be up there. J.D. Martinez could be up there. Machado, maybe. Is it one of those three? Yes, it is one of those three. Oh. Bellinger. Yep, Bellinger. His home run last night traveled a projected distance of 425 feet. Um, Okay. Who has the highest weighted on base average so far this postseason? Taylor? No, show some love to postseason hero George Springer at five, oh. at five twenty nine, and to quickly show some more love for George Springer, who is quickly becoming one of this generation's defining postseason heroes. Springer, since last season's World Series, has hit three ninety one, four fifty eight, eight fifty nine. That is a thirteen seventeen OPS and seventy two um, postseason plate appearances that's eight home runs that's a homer one every nine plate appearances and 14 extra base hits so it's only 72 plate appearances but in the highest of leverages good for you george springer that makes it a ton of fun to watch um all right got let's see i got one more yeah i got one more stat cast question to you and then we'll answer some questions from the fans um Hardest fat average fastball velocity, four-seam fastball velocity, that is, so far this postseason. Evaldi. Ooh, nope. 98. Hater. What was that? Hater. Hater? Come on, dude. 
I'm, I'm in my own head now. <laughs> Who is it? Josh James at 99.1 miles an hour. So, Josh James is throwing the hardest. All right. Now it's time for our weekly segment. When you and I are on here, that means that you can go to Instagram and that means you can submit your question for the podcast. So we got just a few this week. I believe we only have four. So we'll start it up with, we have the return of Naswad Wordna, best name on Insta. Um, Who comes up clutch for both teams this series? And before you answer, I just want to say for those listening that clutch does not exist. It's just good players getting hits in big moments. I know you shake your head, but you know there's no statistical evidence for it. You know there's no statistical evidence. I was just, yeah, mixing a personality. Oh, you're the personality here. I'm the nerd. Come on, you know that. You know that. All right, well, so I think that the good player that's going to do something good in a big opportunity in this series for the Dodgers I think it's Machado. Okay. And uh, it's I like the villain narrative surrounding him. Um, got a little, little flair for the dramatic. I, I, I think Pui could too, uh, as he did last night. I just love to see his energy too. Love honestly. the energy. <laughs> Bat flip, him going nuts, you know, getting a lot of people angry. And then I want to say for the Red Sox, just been with the way the postseason's going, JBJ. Mm-hmm. Kind, of, kind of been an unsung hero. Yeah. Obviously, won the ALCS MVP, so it's hard to be that unsung. But he kind of gets lost in the shuffle with with all these great names lined up around him. Yeah, yeah. Just to add to JBJ, I wanted to throw this in there, and you gave me the perfect way to throw it in here. His postseason slash line, very fun. This is the beauty you get with small sample sizes. 185 batting average, 371 on base, and a 481 slugging. So the on-base percentage, twice as much as the batting average. I absolutely love it, JBJ. Hit under 200 and get on base at a 370 clip, and every nerd in the world will... uh, We'll love you, but uh, yep. I'm gonna. Get, I'll. I mean, I said Kershaw for the MVP. I guess it would be boring if I said him again. I'll agree with you with Machado. He's kind of. I don't necessarily agree with this. Maybe that's just because I love him as a player. I think he's incredibly exciting and fun. But I think the media has a put the narrative that Machado's baseball's villain. He's on the Dodgers, which is an easy team to root against, and he's kind of adopted this role as baseball's villain. I would love him and his hairstyle to have a flair for the dramatic. I think if there's someone who's going to get hits in a high leverage situation, I think it's going to be him. I also am going to say Justin Turner because there's no one in the series with more high leverage hits than him. So it'd be irresponsible not to. And with the Red Sox, like I alluded to earlier, if it's going to be someone, it's going to be Mookie Betts or JD Martinez. These are their horses. These are the studs that have carried them all year. JD has been JD in the postseason, and Mookie Betts, that guy's a stud. So um, I'll go with them. All right, next question from Jay Rizuski 95 What pitcher or hitter matchup are you most looking forward to seeing this series? Pitcher or hitter matchup? Wow, boy, there's there's so many to choose from this one. Hmm. Kershaw Martinez is the easy answer, I think. I, I just want to yeah. see your best versus my best. Yeah. And then I think the another one is Machado Kimbrel with the game on the line. Yeah, that's pretty cool. 
and I want to see Machado in his sweet swing just put one. 450 dead oh. center. Oh, way, way over the monster. Yeah. I, th- I think we've, we have some bias in this podcast just because we're both position players. So we're always yeah. going to favor the position players. But uh, I'm, I'm going to answer a little differently than you. I'm going to go with uh, Walker Bueller against J.D. Martinez um, for, for, for the same reason that J.D. Martinez, like, his story is well known. You know, he went from zero to hero. He's, he's completely turned himself into the player he was today. He went to California to hit with Wallenbrock. The rest is history. Walker Bueller, you know, he never had some massive swing overhaul or mechanics overhaul or anything. Um, he just had Tommy John surgery that once he had that, it allowed him to start lifting heavy again, um, clear up um, some movement deficiencies. Um, he spoke to students of the game. He spoke with us in the offseason about how he wanted to create a better pitch shape on his slider, which he certainly does. So these are – and Walker's a very forward-thinking guy. I mean, you can you can Google – his interactions with Kyle Bodie, um, you know, he's not afraid to speak his mind. He's brash, but getting to talk to him for a little bit, you immediately recognize this is an incredibly intelligent dude that knows what he's doing and he knows how to make himself the best pitcher possible. Is this is a matchup between two geniuses who took their careers into their own hands, and I want to see two guys who are unbelievable players. But just as smart baseball minds go at it, from a player development standpoint, I find that so cool that you can look at two guys who certainly have taken their careers into their own hand for the better, and now they're going at it on the biggest stage. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to most. That's an awesome point, by the way, um, to bring that up. And, and, and check out that interview with Walter Bueller as well. You know, another yeah. plug for us, but just the way that both of those guys as you have said had had taken their career into their own hands and really have been on the forefront of the new wave of player development all right we got a few more questions so this is from s clav 28 he said where did houston go wrong that allowed the red sox to win the series four to one we spent a lot of time on this so i'm just going to take this one quickly you know I, i i wrote down some notes about the series you know I, I think for game two and game four, I just wrote like it happens, like you lose, like sometimes things don't go your way. Like in game three, Evaldi was great. The Red Sox hit dingers and Roberto Ozuna was bad. Yay, Ob- Roberto Ozuna was bad. That's great to see. But, you know, just small sample sizes, things go against you. And just to highlight that, I think what highlights that best is in game five, the Red Sox won um, four to one. The difference being a Rafael Devers three-run homer. Correct, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Rafael Devers' home run was hit 101.5 miles an hour. It had a 38-degree launch angle. Batted balls like this have a home run probability of 31.3%. So that means in 68.7 realities where this game was played, where Rafael Devers hits that ball, that's either an out or it's a single or a double and it's a completely different game rather than a crushing three-run homer, the, the most crushing three-run homer. Um, so, yeah, just randomness and small sample size. That's what's going to happen when you get two really good teams in a five-game series. One team is going to beat the other and you're going to ask a bunch of questions. And in reality, the answer is that's baseball. That happens. It's random. There's luck. It's, it's cliche, but, you know, I think you'd agree. 
called the great John Sterling. How can you predict baseball? Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> That's probably the only time I'll love a John Sterling quote. All right. We got two questions here. This is from my man, Matteo Avalon. Um, first one is, is Kershaw's legacy smeared forever if he doesn't shove in this series? And love how he's using um, baseball vocabulary and saying shove. I, I really, really want to say no. I, I just think that he's – the body of work is just too much mm-hmm. for him – for his legacy to get smeared by it, the, this narrative that he's not good in the postseason, which this postseason he has been good. I think it'll chip it a little bit, but at the end of the day, this guy has been so dominant for so long. And at the end, when he decides to hang them up and we look back and his, his case is up for Cooperstown, yeah, he might have not been able to get it done in the postseason, but the regular season stats will just be so eye-popping that it'll take care of itself. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Like, I, I, I've thought about this a lot because there's certainly a lot that can be said about Clayton Kershaw and whether or not he wins or loses in the postseason. You know, I don't think it, it'll define him. Maybe in some people's eyes and maybe in the media's eyes, they'll continue to push that narrative. But, like, at worst, what is this guy going to do? Go down as, like, one of the ten best pitchers of all time? Like, I, I, don't, I don't really know how much you can smear his legacy. Like, he's going to go – unless Max Scherzer – does what he's done the past few years if he does this for another like half decade or decade to like catch up to Kershaw or something he's gonna go down as the best pitcher of this generation so I I just can't see his legacy being smeared everyone knows that he's he's the goat you know (laughs) a lot of Kershaw love on this show but uh all right one more question from Mateo who is the MVP of this series if the Dodgers pull it out which I already said Kershaw so I'll let you you answer this so, the Dodgers pull us out. You know what? I'm going to show some more love to Chris Taylor. I th- I would like to see a little good series from him. MVP, get his name more into the mainstream, I think, because another guy who took his career into his own hands were a huge, drastic swing change, which is, which is paid off, showed, demonstrated versatility. I just think that he has such a great story. And he's performed so well this postseason. He's meant so much to that team that to keep that to keep the ball rolling for him and to accumulate it with a with a World Series MVP award, that'd be really cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, it would be incredible to watch Chris Taylor win the MVP, which he certainly could. He definitely has the capability to. But I want to add one more point to the Kershaw narrative, just because I went back and saw it. Mariano Rivera for ERA plus, which if you don't know, it's ERA adjusted to league average where one point higher than 100 is 1% better. And it's adjusted for park factors among starting pitchers all time. Clayton Kershaw ranks two. He's only behind Mariano Rivera. He is the, has the best ERA plus of all time at a 159. Pedro Martinez is second at 154. So that would mean by this measure, he's 5% better than Pedro. And Kershaw, by uh, walks and hits per innings pitched, um, in the modern era among starting pitchers, he is first all time at 1.00. The only pitcher in the modern era who's better is Mariano Rivera at 1.00. But when you carry it out a few more decibel places, Mariano eventually takes him. The only two guys ahead of them are Addy 
some dude who played in the 1800s and Ed Walsh. Yeah, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, so I'm not going to go for it. But yeah, so Kershaw among starting pitchers all time has the best whip and the best ERA plus. I don't think there's anything that can smear that legacy. So I'm going to agree with you. But with that, we've answered all of our questions. Any any closing thoughts you have for the listeners? Let's hope it goes seven games. Just not ready for baseball until till February. And obviously we're going to have a great offseason too, but would love to get seven more games out of this. Yeah, yeah. I'm rooting for like 20 innings each game, like game seven. Like that's ultimately what I'm rooting for. I'm with you. Give us seven. And on the bright side, I try to do this before every October, like – like whether my favorite team's in it or like if I have a rooting interest because of anything, like looking at the players, like whether or not this October ends, like the group of dudes that is Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, Chris Sale, David Price, Craig Kimbrell, Clayton Kershaw, um, Walker Bueller, and like the entire Dodgers lineup. You can just say the entire rosters for guys who haven't won a World Series. Like, there's a a lot of superstars and faces of the game. And besides Kershaw, maybe some guys starting to build a Cooperstown resume a little bit. These are guys you want to see win a World Series, and it makes me happy that some of the game's best players are gonna get their ring. You know, and then guys like Kinsler too. Oh yeah, that's a really good point. Just. Great pro, kind of coming down the end of the line here. A guy like Rich Hill. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Lot. Would there's, love to see Rich Hill get a ring. There's, there's just a lot of guys on both teams, even even like Brian Dozier, guys like that. Just Machado. Oh, I didn't even mention Machado. Machado getting a ring. I know so, you want him to win a ring with the Yankees next year, but... Uh, we'll go. We'll get into that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. For for another time. All right, but uh, yeah. Cliffhanger for everybody. Big cliffhanger. All right, but seven games. Go baseball. Go and go Walker Bueller and go Chris Taylor. But uh, guys, thanks again for listening to another episode of the SOTG podcast. If you could, since you've listened for this long, and this this has been our longest podcast by far, please go ahead to iTunes and subscribe for us. It'll make our day. It'll make Matt really happy, and I'll get to watch him smile for once while we're doing this. But, um, yeah, thank you guys for listening. If you could do us a favor, do that. But uh, go seven games of baseball. Let's go. All right, guys. When you see when you see us next time, we'll be breaking down the World Series, and it'll be a lot sadder because we'll be without baseball. Please enjoy, and let's have an incredible World Series. 